It's the show Agent Orange slash Adolf Twitler would love to shut down. So here's the story, folks. I am the least black person that you've ever seen in your entire life. In fact, we did very well relative to racist people. It's the no bullshit zone. It's called fake news. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show. I know who you are. Just wait. On the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to it. Boy, do we have a lot to cover today, including the other side of the story when it comes to those high school students. Uh, Meditation to prevent starvation or uh, diabetes? Well, we'll talk about that, too. But before we get into all of that, welcome to my show. I am, of course, your host, a critical thinker, a problem solver, guy just left of normal insane and always found at my website, shaggyjenkins.com, as well as a bunch of radio stations across the United States and wherever fine social media is served, at Shaggy Live. Joining me from FYI Nation. Uh, He is the host of Some Say and, well... Right now, just a guy that's going through computer problems just like the rest of us. Please welcome, (laughs) it's Thomas Reynolds. Welcome to the show. Hey, Shaggy. It's great to be here. Oh, boy. Let's start off with a hot-button story today because this is the thing when we talk about this uh, this, this Native American and white group of student confrontation. Now, the latest on this is, and Thomas, I'm going to ask your opinion on this. The latest on this is these kids aren't responsible for their actions. They were harassed into it. Am I wrong? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, everybody's responsible. I mean, if we talk about the party of personal responsibility, they have some culpability in this, too. Is it as bad as they initially said and was claimed to be? No. Uh, it, it, do they act a fool? Yes. And where my question in all this was, where were the chaperones in this? Where where were they having these kids actually behave? I didn't see any chaperones in the videos. I didn't see any um, calming them down. I mean, these are if we're going to call these kids the kids that they are, where the heck were the chaperones? That's kind of a good question because uh, on the video earlier, before the confrontation took place, we see the chaperones kind of encouraging these boys to engage in a gallant school chant to, to rise their spirits. However, Thomas, this is the thing about white men chanting. Why does one of them always have to whip his shirt off? I, that I don't know. That was just weird. Oh. I mean, I'm from North Carolina, you know. Come on and raise up. Take your shirt off. Whip it around your head. Okay, everybody knows Petey Pablo. But what I'm saying is, is I'm no stranger to that, and I can tell you that that type of behavior is meant in an antagonistic kind of way. So, at that point, did the chaperones actually kind of push these boys into acting the way they did? I, I think they dropped the ball. However, you maybe not push them, but I, I think if you're getting... If you want to believe their narrative and you're getting yelled at by four African-American men and you have multitudes of kids and multitudes of chaperones against four black guys, they're really scared now. So if you're going to believe their narrative and they're really scared, um, just stay quiet. Don't sing the school chants. Don't 
act a fool, don't act in any kind of way to get these kids riled up. Because as the right wing tells us, their kids, they're going to behave a certain way after getting pumped up, right? And they're young males, too. So if we... I just want to kind of interject here. That's where we were talking earlier about these chaperones, because at that point, shouldn't they have stood up and said, no, boys, we need to learn something called decorum. We need to learn something called uh, <clears throat> passive resistance. I mean, what was the, the, the thing that kind of gets you is that this story kind of occurs around the birth date of a guy that was known for nonviolent resistance and whose very principles of that, even though later in life he kind of didn't really agree with them as much, but whose principles in that did kind of dictate that Americans, all Americans, eventually would have to learn to behave better. Now, I'm not throwing this on the group of the black Hebrew guys that were yelling at this point because... Lord knows there was uh, enough issues with that. Grown-ass men yelling at kids. That's another story. When it comes to the chaperones and to the leading behavior itself, shouldn't we have embraced some of the at least tiny little bits uh, of Dr. King's message and said, you know what, no chanting, no raising your voice, no signs of aggression. We are passive and we are peaceful. Yeah, absolutely. And now let, let's, uh, I, I'm not saying in the uh, forget about it, in the way of forget about Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King, but let's remember these guys are Catholic young men, right? The, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, right? And if you know anything about that, you know how to behave when you are turning the other cheek and when you are dealing with such issues. And they should have behaved in a lot better. They should have behaved like Jesus as opposed to uh, some other words that they behave like. And it, to me, they, they portrayed their school badly and were not horribly awful as portrayed by some in the media, but they weren't innocent, right? They weren't, they weren't uh, not doing nothing as yeah, they I tried to portray. This is, this is kind of one of the things that I want to throw out there, because as long as we're talking about Dr. King, let's go ahead and say that the media had a certain way of only portraying part of the story. And that part of the story was always the part that looked the worst for whatever opposition uh, viewpoint there was to whatever the mainstream thinking is. Now, when it comes to the video going out on CNN, a lot of people said, ah, ha, ha, just like liberals accuse conservatives of doing and conservatives are now rightfully accusing these liberals of doing, they're only giving you part, I say part, of the story, and that's the part of the story that makes it look the worst. But... Here's the thing. In all of these situations, let's consider the viewpoint, just maybe the common sense, third-party looking in kind of viewpoint, that anytime there is an instigator and anytime there is somebody that decides to react to that instigator, that is the responsible piece. It's the reaction. No reaction, no escalation. Where am I wrong in this? 
No, you're absolutely right. And that's why I'm saying they may not be uh, completely at fault as the way they were initially portrayed to be. However, they are culpable in misbehavior and acting a fool and, and not representing that school in the manner that they should. I said on my show on some say that if I were a parent at that school, I'd be demanding a refund at very least, if not for the semester, for, for the entirety of the school trip, because the chaperones fell on the sword to neglect. And they did not have control of that situation. If I'm going to blame anybody in this, I'm going to go directly to the chaperones of not controlling the kids and not diffusing it before it even got at fault. Yes, the black Israelites were, the Hebrew black Israelites were not uh, behaving as adults. Absolutely. However, that it takes two day tango. There would have not been an inflamed situation, like you said, had they not tangoed and then come doxing and then come the Internet flare up and having to close the school, which is the other part of the story that's happening now. And all that part and and increased security for the girls school. It's ridiculous that we had to take it this far because the chaperones couldn't have just been actual chaperones. Yeah, it's it's a little problem with leadership in this country lately. As as people are afraid to kind of take the lead for fear of repercussion. But in this instance, you know, the chaperones took what they thought was a morale boosting for their students, and then these these kids, being kids, didn't really know what a limitation was, and that's where the adults should have stepped in again. Now, Let's address the full picture of this story, shall we? Because here's the thing that I have got to understand. (sighs) What's the problem between the black Hebrews and the Catholics? Was there a holy war I wasn't aware of? Well, I think from what I understand from all the reporting from the uh, Elder Phillips side and from the gentleman who, I'm not even going to say his name, but uh, who did this stare down, they were just shouting obscenities and whatnot at everyone. It didn't matter. So if that's the case, then diffuse it by not being a part of it. It's really that simple. And you could even say that about uh, Elder Phillips, but he was going in there with good intentions to try and get in the middle of it and doing what he thought was right, right? So you 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 have somebody who was t- trying to take charge in a way, and you could even say that even the black Israelites, if you watched any of the videos, the longer version of the video, were like, oh, yeah, he's going in recognizing what he was doing. They recognized that he was going in to calm them down. So everybody in this is portraying themselves as a victim, and all they really needed was an adult in the room. And the Isn't closest the to adult of- I could I'm going to go ahead and throw this out there. Isn't that the case with America in general right now? We are in lack of adults in the room. Yes, absolutely. And that and that's the biggest problem with everything. He had the best of intentions, but I wouldn't have gone in there. Maybe done it from afar if he was going to do it. But all this uh, this kid who's already been doxxed, and you probably already know his name, so there's no point in me repeating it. Um, all the kid had to do was move out of the way. 
Let them go. Let, let the elder go back and forth. Let them, because when you encircle somebody, you get in their way, and then you feel intimidated. Everybody had feelings of intimidation by everybody else. And I'm sorry to say, if you're intimidated by four black guys, when you outnumber them at least two to one, um, you don't know math, and you don't know the situation you're in. And really, the, it goes back to where were the handlers, and the handlers were the chaperones. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that situation could have went better. And and here's the funny thing, because as we segue into our next story, it's kind of related. It seems that people should have had a little bit of meditation of the moment before they acted. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yes. Total. Totally. But here's one of the most interesting stories that, 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 that you sent me, and I'm going to let you take the lead on this. Meditation to avoid overeating in kids. What's this about? So this is a great story from the Free Beacon because you always got to be mad when you ha- and have a little outrage, okay? So the outrage in this is that the Free Beacon is reporting from Elizabeth Harrington that the National Institute of Health is spending roughly two hundred fifty hundred thousand in an attempt to train kids to meditate so they don't engage in. Emotional eating, John McCain quotes. So Kent State University received a grant for the project last week, which plans to combat obesity in poor teens through meditation. To me, I, I don't understand the point. I don't get it. But anything, I guess, if you're going to do it, this is the least of things to be outraged about this week let's pick the least one and be outraged about okay, it okay yeah but let's 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 talk a little bit about this because okay. here's the thing if you look at the science and <clears throat> the healthcare system of the united states you'll discover two disturbing trends one let's say on the behalf of the american populace stress is at an all-time high kids are experiencing more anxiety than they have before uh yeah marijuana and a bunch of other illicit drug usage is actually down so they had to go somewhere and it's obviously not in those old arcades because um they don't exist anymore but kids do kind of look for food to be their release valve. And as such, parents who don't kind of recognize that behavior and kind of curtail it themselves are leading, here's the terrible thing, to an epidemic level of childhood obesity and juvenile diabetes here in the United States. Now, that's just the first side of it. Reactions? Yeah, look, I think it's a good idea because in the long run, this will actually help the kids. I just think it's the, it goes back to this is the least thing to be mad about. And when you talk about the federal budget, when, maybe they'll employ or pay five people's salaries in the next two weeks or ten when it comes to the government shutdown. And Elizabeth Harrington is all being her bonnet about this. Really? This? Keeping kids healthy so later in life they won't have diabetes later in life. They won't have uh, maybe be obese later in life. They won't have, you know, uh, uh, to worry about a control mechanism to be able to deal with it because they have been given one. This is the thing. In the south where I am from, 
diabetes is seen as a natural progression of getting older. You reach a certain age and you get diabetes. There's parts of the South that do, do not recognize the correlation between weight and endocrinolic functions. But the thing is, is that, Thomas, I said that there was two sides to this story. And, and yeah, we could talk about the kids long and hard, but that's not the side of the story that I want to bring up. It's the other side. I, I, I almost feel like Paul Harvey sometimes. And now... For the other side of the story, healthcare in the United States is problematic at best. And one of the areas that it is the most problematic in is that most low and medium income families don't have an insurance plan that covers preemptive care, only maintenance, reparative, surgery. You, you get the picture, right? Yep, absolutely. Preventive care in these kind of income brackets in the United States goes as far as, and I hate to say this, weight loss, obesity prevention, and when people start to get to that level of their pre-diabetic, what's called insulin resistant, a lot of the medications they could take that would pull them away from insulin resistance and back into a normal body type are not covered by medical insurance in the United States. So if you know that people in the insurance and medical branch aren't really looking at preventative care, does this pittance of money spent on meditation and the potential millions of dollars it could save the medical system of the United States, does it really seem like that far out an idea? No, it doesn't, and and it's doing very basic work. The researchers call for the study uh, in which the kids would meditate, keep food, food diaries, and um, be, I'm assuming, be trained on how to eat properly because that would be something that would be novel, right? So the, we're, we talked about in our last story where the handlers, well, we find some handlers who are willing to come around and help these kids out for the long run. I think it's a great idea, and I only wish we could have more of this, not less, um, and preventative style, see what works, and hopefully we can figure something out that's not that costly because who doesn't, you you know, think that a little bit of meditation and um, a food diary is a bad thing, except for Elizabeth Arrington. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's just it. She doesn't understand exponential consequences, okay? Let's go through you and my lives as if we were in two different sides of this argument. I will choose to be the very obese Shaggy, and you will be the body-normal type BMI Thomas Reynolds. Are you ready for this? Okay. I'll, I'll try and play along. <laughs> okay. Well, here's the thing. At the moment that I hit that part of obesity that opens me up to type 2 diabetes, my cost of living goes up substantially. Now, depending on what insurance company I have, I could have a highly effective once-weekly insulin injection. I could have a daily, or because my insurance could be like the lowest of the low, I could be back on some of the oldest diabetes medication, human insulin, Humulin, 
as it were. Uh, the vial stuff that you have to do with the needles, yeah, nobody's really used that since the 1980s. But moving on, the thing is, is that if your insurance doesn't cover the newer therapies, you're stuck with the older, less effective therapies. And say that, Thomas, I don't do anything or I don't have any way of receiving information or coverage for preventative care. What happens next? Well, in your healthy life, you go on and do whatever the hell you like. In my now downward spiral unhealthy life, my medical costs are starting to go exponentially higher. Not only because diabetes complicates things like surgery, dental work, it complicates things like your eyes, it messes with all kinds of stuff in your digestive system, so you're constantly taking either laxatives or, or fiber supplements, or, or you get the picture, you're always putting something in your body to compensate for a system that is broken. And speaking of broken systems, the longer that I maintain that heavier weight, the more my joints are going to wear out in a ratio that is staggering of like eight to one. So what that means is that my knees are going to wear out, my ankles are going to wear out, my hips, my backs, my spine, and all of this stuff is going to start costing a lot of my insurance money. Now, will they do anything in the beginning to pay for the prevention of this sliding scale of hell that my life has found itself in medically? The answer, Thomas, sadly, is no. So when you look at how medicine is made in the United States, are we doing it right? We're, we're failing miserably. Um, we only have to look at this week to go to Rand Paul and see that he went to Canada for treatment for health care. And uh, we're told by the Republicans uh, all the time about how their universal health care is so horrible and Canadians come here. Well, then why is the sitting senator in the United States Congress running over to Canada for his medical treatment? Maybe because he's able to get a better situation than most people and on the taxpayer dime during a shutdown. So good on him that he can do it. Bad on us for not having a better system that allows people to be able to afford to do that in general as opposed to being one in a hundred. You know, here's an odd question. Do you think the people operating on Rand Paul know who Rand Paul is? Because if I know Canadians and their weird sense of humor, that is going to be a very interesting surgical theater. <laughs> I, you know, I hope for Rand Paul they don't, because there would be a lot of jokes that I'd tell just about his hair alone. <laughs> oh, my God, no. It'd be like, hey, you're the guy that got your ass kicked over some leaves in your yard, eh? <laughs> you know, that would be the first question. How about that, eh? Yeah, it would be it would be that at the anesthesiologist, and then everything into the surgical theater would have been escalatingly weird. I mean, at some point, the lead surgeon's going to come out with a barber's razor and a strap of leather. Rand Paul, huh? Welcome to socialized medicine. <laughs> you get what you pay for, and you didn't pay. Well, the thing is, though, is that when it comes to health care in the United States, health care does not pay for preventative treatments. So even if it's something as far out there as meditation, even if it's something as crazy as Thomas 
recommending people take three 20-minute brisk walks a week. Even if it's something as simple as that, medical professionals and specifically medical insurers won't really treat or tell you about those things because in the long run, you know that scenario I put up between you with the good BMI and me with the bad one? I make people a lot of money, and Thomas, you make very little. And that's what it all boils down to in our healthcare system. Yeah, you have to point out the obvious about me making very little, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of very little, look, uh, we've got to, uh, in just a minute, take a break. But I, I, I kind of want to leave on this note. If you had a perfect kind of fix-all for health care in the United States, knowing this problem with preventative medicine, what would you kind of propose? Oh, that's simple. Uh, easiest question ever. Universal health care, Medicare for all. I have a version of that with the Affordable Care Act, and I love it. I wish everybody could get it because I'm using the doctor that I had that saved my life when I was five years old, and he's my, still my cardiologist. Everybody should have this care. It, it should be easy. The thing is, though, is now as we're getting closer to the 2020 field opening up, we're seeing that some Democrats are looking into the Medicare for all and kind of already trying to gut it a little bit up until we get to the point that everybody accepts that we need a health care system that is subsidized. Uh, medically speaking, how screwed are we? Uh, very, very. It's like letting me do the operating. You don't want it to happen. Oh, God, yes, I would go to Guam. Actually, Guam has got some pretty cool surgeons. I know that because we're in the South Pacific here. Okay, um, this is the thing. Rand Paul is in Canada getting medical treatment. Furloughed government workers can't get their insurance and their treatments. And this is the funny part. At the end of the day, the one person that could probably benefit from all this meditation is... Well, we're going to talk about him coming up in just a little bit, Thomas. You, it probably won't shock you. But here's the deal. we got to take a, um, a quick break here. When we come back, we have got a lot more to cover, including I kind of want to drop this little bombshell of what's happening at the Supreme Court level. Two big things were in the news yesterday, and boy, do they have some different consequences. We'll talk about that in just a sec. It's the Shaggy Chicken Show. This is 60 Second Civics from the Center for Civic Education. I'm Mark Gage. For a bill to become a law, it must be approved by both chambers of the Congress, the House and the Senate. It must also be signed by the President or have enough votes to override a presidential veto, a two-thirds vote of each chamber. Members of Congress who sponsor bills must be persistent and willing to compromise if they are to build winning coalitions. A bill must win majority support at every stage of the process of becoming a law. 
It is not enough to win a majority vote just once. The bill must also be acceptable to those who manage the process, including party leaders. By the time a proposal becomes a law, many groups and individuals with different interests and perspectives usually have scrutinized and debated it. The lawmaking process demonstrates America's system of representative government, limited government, and checks and balances at work. Thank you for listening to today's episode. The show's theme song is Complacent by Cheryl B. Engelhart. You can find Cheryl online at cbemusic.com. 60 Second Civics, where civic engagement only takes a minute. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome back. If you are just now joining the show, where the hell have you been? We've solved half the country's problems already. No, I'm kidding. But we did bring up a lot of interesting questions, and if you are questioning where to go find that, go to the website, shaggychickens.com, where you can find old episodes, plus subscribe to us, become a member on Patreon, follow us on social media, at Shaggy Live. Just go to the website, shaggychickens.com, for any information you want about the show. Uh, This guy comes to us from another kind of corner of the interwebs uh, from FYINation.com and the host of the show, Some Say. Please welcome back Thomas Reynolds. You know, the funny thing is, is like when, when we get back from the break, you sound so depressed and I'm like, you must know the stories that we're about to go into. No. Okay, well, first, let's start with the one that has the LGBTQ community in an uproar. Not too long ago, uh, Donald Trump did a little bit of a tweet act where he said that going forward in the United States military, I'm going to cut out the service of transgendered people. Now, this was supposed to be challenged at a Supreme Court level, and now the day has come where... Thomas, they're going to just let the transgender armed services ban stand. What does that mean for us as a country? Uh, it means that we have a lot of work to do in ways for equality, and we need to really start thinking about what type of country we want to be in in the long run. And it shows why elections matter, because we have two more justices in the Supreme Court who went with this uh, decision that would have— probably not have had it been a Hillary Clinton or uh, Barack Obama's uh, Supreme Court justice had been nominated. I don't think he would have gone with this route, but unfortunately we're here and now it's it's difficult for people who are transgendered uh, gender to be in the military. And uh, I, if you want to fight, you should be able to, as long as you don't have a disastrous medical condition and what they're dealing with in in life is not a disastrous medical condition. Okay, can I just throw this out there? Because for regular men, both straight and gay, the United States military and armed services spends eight times as much on pills and prescriptions for erectile dysfunction than it does for the medical care of all the the serving transgendered uh, members. Knowing that, knowing that, could you call this a bro? Oh, I can't say that on the radio. But there is a 
There is a terminology for policies like this that seem to go limp halfway through. You know the one I'm talking about. Is this an example of that? Yeah, without saying it on the radio either, uh, I'd, I'd say that you're absolutely correct, Shaggy. This is an example of that, and it's a sad day that we're there because this, I, you know, I put the B in LGBTQ, uh, and this is disappointing. It was disappointing from the start, and there are times when these justices on the right do the right thing and don't go towards party lines, but they went all across the party lines on this, and it's really just despicable. You know, and the bad thing is, is I, I don't know how to say this, but if if we're talking about parties in the United States, the Republicans are kind of establishing with acts like this the 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 anti-progress party is this kind of a reputation going to actually do some damage to them going into 2020 you would hope but uh you know this is the same guy that had the lgbtq flag out waving it and had the lgbtq for trump uh people, which I don't understand. And I know some of them uh, personally, and I still, I, I hope at this point they're not, but if they are, they're, they got some screws loose. But that being said, I think that uh, people are waking up. The transgender and the uh, gay community warned people about how Trump would be, and people didn't listen. And this is the consequences of people either not voting uh, because they don't want to vote or not voting for Hillary Clinton because she would have been the one giving us different justices. And they are itching to get rid of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as justice of the Supreme Court. I mean, I don't know if you saw the Fox News thing where uh, they accidentally declared her dead the other day. I'm yeah, Martin yeah. I, I was thinking that was trying to give her a heart attack so that their their placard would actually be premeditated murder but that's just me you know um well yeah and i just want to say this about them imagine the consequences of msnbc doing that and the right-wing outrage you hardly heard a peep this week from the left and it's only a couple days from it and it's been so crickety when it came to that and she's one of our best justices that we have yeah, the thing is, is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been under a little bit of a medical scare lately in the public eye, and any sort of kind of scare of uh, what her absence would mean to the Supreme Court right now at this point of history is daunting. Because here's the thing, in, in these Supreme Court kind of decisions, today you would think that they were playing a little tit-for-tat with the White House, because... Yes, they did allow the transgender ban to go into effect because of inaction. However, the other story today was one of those things that Donald Trump had on the negotiating table was the Dreamers, the, 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 the kids in America from the DACA Act. Well, DACA, because of one of his little executive orders, was supposed to kind of be, you know, rolled back and restricted. However, the Supreme Court decision today basically says no. We're going to keep those protections in place. So does this, in a way, kind of neuter the president using the Dreamers in his wall negotiations? 
I would hope so, um, or at least um, put a put. I can't say that on the air. <laughs> oh, I had to catch myself there, Shaggy, because I really wanted to go for that bat. Um, but that, that being that being said, it, it should, but it probably won't because he he is a guy who sees himself as an excellent negotiator, and he's probably the worst one that we've ever seen occupy the White House, and that's counting that uh, Franklin Pierce that was so awful even before WW's cousin, I think, uh, if you go in the genealogy realm. Yikes, man. You went deep there, like Franklin Pierce deep. Hey, if you if you can't take one bat out, you might as well take out the bat of history, right? Yeah, but the thing is, is that I'm kind of missing the days of Calvin Coolidge here, where basically through leaving everybody alone in the American uh, society and... Uh, well, telling Congress to cool their jets, he actually resided over a nice period of growth in the United States that people really forget because Woodrow Wilson and everything else. However, Thomas, we have to ask you, is it time for things to kind of, when it comes to this rhetoric around immigrants in the United States, is it time for us to kind of, as Gregory Isaac would say, cool down the pace on all these talks of uh, actions against DACA? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm one of these people who says if you if you're willing to go and trek three thousand miles or twenty five hundred or nine hundred miles and cross a fence and go through all the heck to get here, you might as well be let in with a hug and a kiss and free bottle of water. But I, I I'm very left of liberal on this issue, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I know. And for me, I'm a humanitarian and, and a, a humanist who believes that, hey, you know what? Just like uh, Martin Luther King said, you could throw up physical barriers, but what doesn't change is that it's it's just humanity on both sides of whatever walls you try to throw up. This is the thing, though, because this week we've been talking about walls, we've been talking about budget shutdowns, and, and, and now here we are with the Supreme Court kind of doing this tit-for-tat move. The funny thing is, is if you are looking for somebody that was knowledgeable this week, it's not Donald Trump Jr. Because I, I just kind of want to bring this up. Uh, earlier on this week, uh, Donald Trump Jr., of course, made a couple of eh, eh, tone-deaf uh, tweets in support of his dad's immigration actions. But here's one of the things that really grabs you by that part that we can't mention here on an FCC doctored station. Um, this is the part that really just tickles the ivories, as it were. Donald Trump, in a, an effort to tickle the Snow White audience of Fox News, got on there and openly denied knowing anything about what was happening in his dad's candidacy, or really what was happening in the early days of the presidency. It's just we didn't know anything. It was a blanket answer. Um, why is Donald Trump Jr. now trying to get in front of the media saying that he doesn't know anything? 
because I think when Carl uh, Carl Rove, when uh, our friend uh, Mr. Cohen testifies, uh, what is it, the seventh of February, in front of Congress, when he comes out with his testimony, we're going to find out how much they did know, when they knew it, and how much of a liar that whole family is. The Trump crime family is going to probably get a big black eye, and it's not just because he's a liar and a fraud and everything else. And I'm talking about Cohen, not Trump. Uh, it's because he was so heavily deep into it. And you're going to believe a guy who is backed up by other statements from other people. And that's the biggest bruise to this yet is that we have documented cases of things. And I want to go back to what the Justice Department said about the BuzzFeed article that happened this past Friday. Everybody, oh, the media went too far. The media shouldn't have, you know, talked about impeachment. The Justice Department said things were not fully accurate with that. They didn't say that it was completely false. They didn't say that it was wrong or, uh, you know, completely out of whack or anything like that. They just didn't specify which parts of what was said in the article was inaccurate. So for the media to, again, jump the gun and make another false assertion is ridiculous but i think we're we're gonna get a, a you know a bloody nose to the trump family and that's probably long answer to a short question that's why donald trump jr is and by the way what is with this the beard thing it's not a good look for him he needs to stop it's just no, you know, I, I don't know what the beard thing is. I came out on this show. I had one. Uh, then all of a sudden, Ted Cruz almost got beat up by Beto O'Rourke in the polls. Then he grew one. I almost want to call when a GOP member starts to grow a beard, a fear beard. I like that because that's the only explanation that I could come up for because it's not a good I, – I am the last person who should be talking about looks, you know, because I'm furrier than an ape. But that being said, that man does not have a grooming technique that works for him. Uh, you know, he was not horrible looking with the baby face. He should have kept the baby face because whatever he's doing now – he needs to stop. I think he's growing that out so that he can disappear into a foreign country after Mueller's investigation finally gets his way because Donald Trump Jr. has been the man behind the man in a lot of these scenarios. When it comes to the infamous June 2016 meeting, who was that set up by? Donald Trump Jr. When it came to reaching out to Russian officials for dirt on Hillary Clinton, who is the one that initiated it? Donald Trump Jr. When it comes to Cohen's testifying, saying that the Trumps were being communicated with this deal in Moscow over apartments and also several high-ranking Ogliarchs and, and, and contacts to the FSB, you know, the Secret Service of Russia. Um, with all of this stuff, who was at the forefront and present at nearly every one of those encounters? Donald Trump Jr. So I know that everybody is heating up and, and, and really just thinking, oh, 2019 is going to be the year that we get our president, Donald Trump, in some sort of obstruction case, which he's probably going to get himself called in anyway, some sort of perjury trap. He's probably going to do that to himself anyway. I mean... It, it's, it's like watching a very clumsy person walk through Indiana Jones' booby-trapped temples. However, 
Donald Trump Jr. could be the bigger fall and the bigger target when all is said is done. What do you think, Thomas? I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, he's going after the, the Donald is going after Mueller so hard. It might not just be for self-preservation; it may be for the preservation of the Trump dynasty. And he loves his kids. That's why he has them in the higher echelon of the Trump organization because he trusts them and, and trusts them implicitly. And this is a man who doesn't trust. Uh, it's a weird way that he has his family set up. It's a very mob-like, but, you know, when you're around that element, I guess that's what you do. I, I just am wondering, in the long and short of it, um, if he's going to keep the beard at this point. But I'd like the fear beard. You are all about fear beard. I'm, I'm just going to say <laughs> that... If you're a fan of, of, of Star Trek Discovery, you know about the character on there, Saru, and he has these little tendrils that extend like a weird alien mullet out of the back of his head every time that something frightful happens. And I, Ted Cruz did it right after nearly getting pantsed in the election with Beto O'Rourke. Donald Trump Jr. has started to be mentioned ever increasingly in Mueller's probes and from the special counsel's kind of releases about even nefarious, weird, foreign government, uh, I don't know, businesses or something. It's a very weird thing happening with the Supreme Court and this, this one little part of the case. But, once again, the guy that's in all of that and could be in the hottest water is growing the manliest of Duck Dynasty beards, Donald Trump Jr. Um, I'm not saying there's correlation. I'm sorry, go ahead. I I'm just saying, there, I'm not saying there's correlation between fear and Republicans growing beards. I'm just saying mm, it's beginning to look a lot like that. Okay, uh, this is the thing, because one person that hasn't really grown a beard yet, and, and, and this is the thing. Donald Trump Jr., let's just say that, however poorly, he kind of handles his own press. Would you agree? Yeah, badly, okay. but yes. Yeah, no, when it comes to his dad, his dad is the president of the United States and as such has an actual person that is supposed to handle these things for him, and that is his press secretary. Uh, I'm, I'm not misreading that situation, am I? No, you, you're you good. Maybe you'll say her name wrong or not call her what I call her, but, you know, go go for it. Once again... <laughs> Just because the FCC isn't really taking complaints doesn't mean we can break the radio waves with our language. But I know the nickname, and shame on you. Um, here's the thing. <clears throat> Sarah Huck of E. Sanders, uh, when it comes to press conferences, here lately has been very rare a presence behind the podium. And it came out from Politico that Donald Trump may be the reason why telling the free media of the United States, you're too mean to my press secretary. So I told her, don't bother holding briefings anymore. Okay, Thomas, just before we even start to dissect what this means, um, reactions. 
I love this political story. It's just great, Shaggy, because it tells me everything you needed to know about his hiring practices and how he picked the best person who could handle the job, right? Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She can just handle the press, and uh, she does such a wonderful job. Not even going to comment on her looks, not even going to comment on her dresses that she shouldn't be wearing. Oh, wait, sorry. Um, she just does the best job. She 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 really does, and, and yet yet... Here we go uh, yet again with the evil uh, media, the fake news is the bad person when we got a person who can't even handle the press. press, And um, we suffered through Sean, I can't say that name, but uh, Spicer? Yeah, that's Yeah, it's Sean Spicer. Uh, You remember? Spicy! Yeah, well, I had a different name for him, too, and I can't say that on this station either. Well, I can. I, I called him Sean Splicer because he always seemed to be taking bits of truths of other stories and kind of attaching them to Donald Trump in his press briefings. Well, fair enough. That was not the name I was thinking of. <laughs> mm, yeah, I know. I know. But bad nicknames aside, this is a bad precedence in the United States. Thomas, we're at the point now where the White House doesn't want to talk to the American people through a free and open media. What kind of a precedence is this setting in the long run? A horrible one. I'm I'm frankly waiting for him to say I'm going to do an hour-long or however-long press conference every year like Bruton does because he seems to be taking steps like Vlad. You know, Uncle Vlad says how to treat the media and Trump goes and does it. Uncle Vlad kills somebody in the media and, you know, he calls the media the enemy of the state. We're, we're lucky we don't have a despot, but we're dang close to having one, aren't we? Yeah, pretty much. And this is the thing, because I was... <laughs> okay, for people that listen to this show, they don't understand that all of us, the correspondents, me and the host, uh, we, we all talk all the time behind the scenes. And, and when it comes to these stories about Donald Trump and everything, I am I am guilty of, of really digging, as, as much as I accuse you of Thomas Reynolds... Of, of the show some say and FIINation.com, as much as I accuse you of, of digging in deep sometimes on stories, I have been digging really deep into things like Aristotle and dialectics and, well, all kinds of principles of, of philosophy and politics to kind of understand what Donald Trump represents. And I know what you're thinking. Shaggy, you are using a $50 billion education for a nickel-and-dime president story. Hear me out, though. You talk about the KGB, and you talk about Vladimir Putin, and we talk about their methodologies kind of constantly on this show. Would you agree? Absolutely. Well, one of those methods has to do with something that you thought I was joking with last night when I sent it to you, and I said, ooh, now it's time to bring up Trevor's axiom, or uh, what is it? Hegelian dialectics. Now, um, for anybody that doesn't know what those words are, Trevor's axiom is kind of a joke that was put up on South Park a couple of seasons ago. Uh, it was on uh, the other night in a rerun where one person attacks a group trying to get another group to respond to that attack, and then, bam, chaos happens and the internet is broken. That's that's kind of the joke version of Trevor's axiom. But Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin 
are kind of guilty of using dialectics in this one case, the, the, the Hegelians. Okay, this is how they do it. They give you two scenarios. Both are set to the extremes of the left or the right viewpoint. So if it's an issue like immigration, hey, open borders are okay, versus lock up everybody, throw walls up around our nation, we need security, okay? And in between that, whether or not you like it is, is the result that those kinds of dialects set up, the results, okay? So if I set up a scenario, Thomas, where, where I offer you the, the ability to eat 100 apples for lunch, you have to eat them all, or 50 turd sandwiches for lunch on the other end of that. But somewhere in the middle, there's a broccoli dinner that you do not like, but I want you to make the broccoli dinner decision with those three options. How soon before all arguments lead to what I put in as the conclusion I want you to take? Uh, very quickly in my case, because my palate is awful. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I eat Southern food, and I can tell you that only two of those options sound appealing on that choice. Um, here's the thing. When we talk about how governments kind of set up scenarios for their populace, Donald Trump might be trying to set up a scenario where he says, well, the media lies too much, and I tell the truth too much, and... Is somewhere in between that is just me being able to have one person of choice, maybe like a Mike Pence or a Sarah Huckabee, uh, being the mouthpiece for the government and everybody has to listen to them. That's kind of that argument set up. Is Donald Trump that sophisticated or am I just being really, really into my books? I think you're being really into your books, unless, and, and here's the caveat, I'll, I'll make a Rudy Giuliani caveat here, and you're being really sophisticated unless he happened to fall into it by accident, because every stupid person does get something right every once in a while. I mean, you only have to look at Sarah Palin to go that far and uh, see her, and you get it. Yeah. That being said, I think that you are close, but I don't think it was this grand scheme because I don't think he's that bright because he fumbles the ball too many times. Unless, again, that is part of the scheme to make us think that he's this a complete uh, just uh, misfit who doesn't know what he's doing so he could get away with all this diabolical things and then get into whatever he really wants to get into. With It's possible. In the grand, I mean, look what we're talking about. I mean, we all thought that Hillary was going to win, and what did she do? She picked Tim Kaine, and the rest is history. Yeah, but this is the thing. <clears throat> Since you think that mm, President Trump isn't clever enough to kind of execute these machinations, then going back to the Mueller investigation and the Donald Trump, uh, we know nothing kind of things, and Basically, all the stories that we'll have to cover tomorrow's show and the week in the review, um, <clears throat> who is really leading Donald Trump's actions now? If he's not clever enough to set these up, then is it Putin? I, look, I 
think it could be, but I think the more real solution is it's the guy in the tinfoil hat uh, that's down the street, and he just happens to have the correct brainwaves for him. Because uh, there was a story that I read a while back that it was Roger Stone who gave him the idea of the wall and fed him the idea. And he he gravitates to things that he thinks are going to work and he can remember and he can continue to spout off. And if he doesn't get bored with them, he continues them like the fake news and calling the media, the enemy of the people. This is what he does right on a regular basis. I don't actually want to give him that much credit to say that Donald Trump, you are a real smart guy. Here's the keys to the castle. No, I, I'm more willing to say you fell into the castle because the American people were too stupid by half. And we had an electoral, college that we didn't get rid of and the Russians meddled and they got lucky but then I gotta think how needy are the Russians where they go to Donald Trump of all people to be the guy that they think is going to be the one to be president of the United States I mean how awful does their game plan have to be that it's Donald Trump of all people Yeah, and we'll have to find out tomorrow because that's the end of the show. Look, everybody, I hope you had a safe one. But until the next time, we got to go. Love you, mean it. Kate and bye. We're out.